If you've uh, uh, ever wanted to be the best at whatever you do, if you've ever wanted to excel at, at the things that you like to do or the job that you've been given or the trade that you have or things like that, um, it's, it's always good to remember, this will help you, no matter how good at you get at your thing that you do, um, there's always somebody better and, there's, and you're always replaceable. You're always replaceable. And there have been those that have been given great positions and after some time, they tended to forget their place, right? And they began to operate, let me say it this way, in their own agenda. How many have known that to happen? Maybe on the workplace or uh, we see it in the workplace. Maybe it was in a church setting. Uh, You can see it sometimes. Somebody gets a job in a church. uh, The pastor gives somebody a Sunday school class or this or this or that. And everything's going fine. And then all of a sudden it's like they own the thing. Right. And uh, they own the thing. And it becomes everything becomes their agenda. And that's never good, is it? I saw this meme, I guess it's called, or a quote or whatever it was, on the internet. And it was so good, I had to just post that thing. I, had to, I saw it and I just reposted it. And it said, it said this, let me read it exactly. Some people should admit it, that they left a church because they couldn't run it. Boy, that happens. That absolutely happens. And uh, sometimes it can be corrected, and that's a wonderful thing, but oftentimes they need to be replaced. They just need, whether it's in the job, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in a church setting, this happens. People come, unfortunately, people can come to a place, and whatever they're doing becomes theirs, and they, they begin to operate after their own agenda. And what you find out is that doesn't work for the whole eventually. For the whole, it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. And I want to look at this title tonight of our message and the application of this parable tonight. And I want to look at the title. Don't, and here's my title. Don't forget you can be replaced. Don't forget you can be replaced. And I want to look at that tonight. I want a little bit of a recap here in Matthew chapter 21, just a little bit before. I said it this morning. I'll say it again tonight. Jesus, in his triumphal entry, he was coming in, came into uh, Jerusalem as a king coming back from the, from the conquest of war. And uh, what he received, obviously, was rejection. You look in verse 10 of chapter 21, and the, it says here, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Isn't that interesting? Who is this? In verse 12, he comes and he went into the temple of God, it said, and he cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And then down in verse 14, while he's there in the temple, right, uh, the, the blind come to him, the maim come to him, and the lame come to him, and he does heal them. But then you see in verse 15 that the priests and the scribes They're pretty displeased at what Jesus is doing. And it says, When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Boy, they didn't like that at all, right? Now watch this. If Jesus is going to be received on a national level, it's going to be the Pharisees and the scribes 
and the Sadducees, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling, the religious ruling class is who would have to receive him. No, there are, there are many people that received him who he was. But why did it go from Israel? Because those who, had the, who were in authority, right, those who were the religious authority rejected him. Right. And and that that was that that was the issue that why Jesus in whole from Israel was rejected. Right. And so the rest of chapter 21. Right. They've said no. The rest of chapter 21 now kind of has some illustrations of Israel's rejection of Jesus. And when we get down to verse 33, we've gone through a few of these. But now here we come to verse 33. And we come to another parable. Brother Jim read this for us. Jesus said, hear another parable. He said, there is a householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Now this is a good occasion to kind of look at some Bible, some, some Bible customs of the day here. And of course, uh, the, the, the grape vineyards and the olive trees were very, very important to Israel. And they're still important to Israel today. And uh, so what would happen is somebody would have a piece of land. They many times would terrace off this land. It'd be, as, and you've seen photos of this, there'd be a section of land and they'd come up and they'd put, take all the rocks that they'd gotten out of the ground. They'd make walls with it and build up another terrace. And from what I have even went back and read a little bit this afternoon again on this, of a brand new book I got on Bible customs from a pastor in Australia before I left. He gave me a book that he had written, and it was really, I was like, wow, I'm like, that is a good book. And uh, one of the things that he pointed out is in these terraces, they built them so where just enough water would collect, and after so much water would collect on one terrace, it'd run down to the next terrace, so it didn't get overwatered. It's kind of interesting how they would do stuff like that. And so they'd build these terraces up with the rocks, and level after level, and they'd plant these, uh, these uh, grape vines in these areas, and then they would plant hedges around to keep things out of that area. Now, what we are in normal, what, what we are used to seeing, even around here, if you go between, uh, if you go between uh, say, Billings and Boaz and those areas, there's still some vineyards over there uh, just outside of Marionville. And what we're used to is vineyards of vines on trellises or set up on some wood so they're up above the ground. But these weren't like that. Uh, in, in, in Israel, they would plant them, and there's photos of them you can see, and they would just grow along the ground. And, and the, which kind of makes sense of the illustration that Jesus had in John, uh, John uh, 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he talks about taking up a vine and, and getting it. It wasn't, it wasn't the losing of your salvation. It was bringing some of these vines that got into the mud and into the dirt and lifting them up and cleaning them off so they could produce fruit again. And that was the illustration that Jesus was actually giving there. And, uh, but these, these, these uh, grapevines are planted on the ground and, and uh, they would grow from there. And then actually as they grew, of course, the harvest came, right? And what they would do, they'd have these big rocks and they would, they would chisel out and, and hewn out 
large vats in these rocks, and there'd be several of them sometimes when we were uh, at the top there where, where they believed Naboth's vineyard was and when, where the palace of Ahab was. Uh, you could see in the ground, still to this day, think how old this is, still to this day, you could see in the ground the, uh, where the vineyard was. And you could see in the rocks, hewn out of the rocks, uh, different big squares uh, of, of vats where they would crush the grapes and you'd see it go terrace down and down and down as that juice would go down and down and down and filter out. And, and uh, the process was really, really neat to see and it's still there to see this day. But they would uh, get these big vats and they put the grapes in there. And as you, some of the grapes, listen, some of the grapes went to be used to make a paste out of. And some, some people believe that even that word honey sometimes, sometimes is referring to that paste that they would make out of the grapes. Uh, other times they would take that paste and they would add water to it like a, like a uh, reconstituted uh, grape juice. You'd get it in a can, right? Clunk and pour the water in and they would do that sometimes. Some people believe that when Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake, as we know this, right? Wine in the Bible doesn't always mean fermented, right? Or, or uh, alcoholic, right? It doesn't always mean that. And uh, some people, so I, I read a whole article by a doctor who said that he believed that uh, the, the wine that Paul was talking about, they used to make a wine paste and, uh, and they would use it for stomach ailments sometimes. And I don't know, I've never gone any further to read any further into that. I thought that was interesting. And, uh, but there's a lot of uses for these grapes. It was a, it's a very, very valuable market to Israel. It's very valuable uh, to those Israelites. So they'd dump those grapes, the ones that they're going to crush for, and they'd, into those uh, big hewn out parts of the stone. And what did they do? They stomp on them, right? They'd stomp them out and the juice would come out into this clay pitcher, right? And they'd collect it. And as time would go on, they'd let the sediment settle to the bottom called the lees. They would let the lees settle to the bottom and you'd have what was called a new wine. You'd have a fresh juice and, and very, very, very valuable to them. And this is the picture that Jesus uses to these Jews that are way more familiar with this than we are. Okay. And so, well, maybe those in California, Napa Valley would be a little more aware of this than we are here in Missouri, right? And so he uses this as an illustration. And uh, he, I, want, I, want to, I want to define a few things in here, a few things of the typology that's going on here. First of all, here we see it says here another parable. There is a certain householder. Now that is the owner of the vineyard, Okay. He owned the vineyard. And many times, some of these owners would have multiple properties. So what they would do, you have next here the husbandman, who is the manager, who would, per se, like what we would say, would lease the property, right? Like some guys may lease land out here. I don't know what cattle is ahead. I think it's still $40 a head an acre or something like that for, for a land lease around here. If you, if you got 40 acres, right? and you want to lease the property, you're going to pay about $1,200 a year to lease that land. And you can grow the crops and you can do this. But in these days, they would lease the land out. And what they would say is, um, you get half of the crop, okay? The, the owner of the land would say, you, he, would, he would get a husbandman. He would get a, a, a manager to come in. They would take care of the entire vineyard. They would bring in the harvest. And at the end of the harvest, the owner would come for his cut because really... It's his expense, it's his grapes, it's his land, it's everything like that. So let me say it this way. At the end of the year, he's coming in to pick up a check of his portion that's owed him. 
Okay, And so you have the owner who's called the householder. You have the manager who Jesus calls here the husbandman, right? And now listen to some of these, these typologies here. He says, he planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a wine press. We, talk, we talked about that. He built a tower that was normal. They'd build these big rock towers so you could get up, right? Like we don't have them. I don't think there's maybe two left in the whole state of fire towers. How many climbed an old fire tower? Yeah, you weren't supposed to, were you? <laughs> They're fun. The one at Jenkins, that was a scary one. That was scary. And we climbed that water tower, and you, or fire tower, and you'd get up in there. Well, these wine presses, they weren't, or the towers, they weren't that big, but the same purpose. They were built up so they could get up and they could look over the vineyard and watch the property and make sure there's nothing in there, eating their grapes or taking things away. And so you had the, the tower, and he said he let it out to husbandmen, Right, He rented it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. He went away and he left it there. Okay. Now verse 34. And when the time of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. He's going to get his check. The harvest is over. He wants, he wants his, the owner of the land wants his cut. We had a family member of ours. He's passed away now. But he had, after the tornado, he had uh, piles and piles of trees logged up. And, or piled up, logs of trees piled up. And uh, Tom would say, you can come all, cut all the wood you want, just leave me a third of it. You know, he, what was he doing? He was kind of leasing it out there, right? You leave me a third of it. And so notice some of these things. We have the vineyard, we have the householder, we have the husbandman. These are typologies that Jesus is using. Who, what is the vineyard? Who is the householder? And who is the husbandman? Well, let me help you. Right, the vineyard. I almost at one point in this message, I had I had Israel written out. I was I thinking, thought immediately of Isaiah chapter five, but that's not really it. The vineyard here is the world. The vineyard's the world. Right, the householder is God. He owns it all. The husbandman, who is it? Who is the world let out to, to bring forth fruit? Who's he talking to? Israel. It's Israel. Here's the problem in the vineyard. Look at verse 34 through 39. I said this, it received the fruits of it. Verse 35. And the husbandman took his servants, right? So he sent servants, right? The husbandman or the owner, I'm sorry. Let's, I'm sorry. Verse 34 again. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. That's not good. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. What did they do? They beat one, they killed them, or they stoned them. Okay? Not a good reception for the owner of the property, is it? Right. And so, verse 36, uh, verse 37, But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. So we see this. It's time the harvest is, is gone. The owner has sent his servants, right? And uh, we know what they did with them. So what is the typology going on here in verses 34 through 39? Well, first of all, we know what the vineyard is, right? It's the world, okay? The householder, God the Father, 
the husbandman, Israel. Okay? And so, let me ask you this. Who are the servants? I, I won't laugh you to scorn if anybody wants to tell me who they think it is. Prophets. The Old Testament prophets. Yeah. Now notice this. Who's the son? Come on. There we go. That was an easy one. So what do we have? We have the world, the vineyard. We have God the Father. We have Israel. We have prophets. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling this story. Don't forget this. And he's telling them who's his, who's his audience. The Pharisees and the scribes. The religious rulers. Right. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Now notice the explanation of it. Let me give it to you. God owns it all. The world is God's. Amen. He created it all. It belongs to him. Every last bit of it belongs to him. And he chose Israel to bring a harvest out of the world for himself. Why? He's not any willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he chose Israel to, to bring the harvest unto himself, but Israel didn't uphold their end of the deal. Israel didn't do, he, he didn't do that. So what happened? So God sent prophets. Year after year after year after year, they go into captivity. They come back out, and he sends more prophets again. Listen, the, the prophet after prophet, what did they do? Well, Jesus said it. You killed the prophets. I sent prophets unto you, and you killed them, right? Why? They didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. They didn't believe what they were doing. So finally, he sends the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. It says, they threw him out of the vineyard. Do you see that? And when the Lord thereof, uh, uh, verse 39, and they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Now remember, this is a parable Jesus is teaching. But, but what do you think he's referring to there? Now there's, there's part of me that thinks that he was just in the temple, right? First of chapter 21, he had just come for the triumphal entry, right? He had just healed in the temple. When he got through with all of that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees or, and, and the scribes were displeased. What essentially are they saying? Wait, what, what is Israel, what is the ruling class of Israel essentially saying to Jesus Christ when what? He is healing, he is forgiving, he is drawing unto himself, he, he is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What is Israel doing? They're telling him, get out of our vineyard. Get out. It's ours. We don't want you here. Don't you? I love this because you know the Pharisees know that he knows that they know that he knows that they know. You know this. You know how I know this? Watch what he says here. Look, look at this. Verse 38, Jesus said, And when the husbandmen saw the son, Jesus, they said among themselves, This is the heir. You say, well, this is just a parable. Yeah, I understand that. But don't you think Jesus knew what they thought? I, be, I have become more and more convinced the Pharisees and the scribes and all the religious party knew exactly who Jesus was. And it's just like today, it's no difference. The world knows exactly who he is, they just don't want him. That's exactly right. He is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world.
We know. The world knows. You mentioned the name Muhammad, big deal. You mentioned Confucius, okay, fine. You mentioned some young moon, fine. You say Jesus Christ and they go, eh. Why? Because they know. They absolutely know. He says, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And let us seize, let us seize on his inheritance. Right? Let us seize on his inheritance. I almost forgot this. Right? They've seen the miracles. They've heard Jesus teach with authority. They know who he is. They didn't want him. They're still looking for a Messiah. It's going to be the Antichrist. Isn't it amazing? Jesus, we just saw in, in, uh, in, in the service this morning, we just saw with Jesus, well, we didn't read it, but in, the rest, in chapter 24, he's warning them about false Christs and false messiahs. And he says they're going to be here and there, and you don't, don't follow them, right? He's telling the, the, these, the Israel, don't follow the false messiahs. And every year there's a new messiah in Israel that they wait and see. Well, maybe this is it. And then he dies. And it's like, oh, that wasn't it, right? And they've got a new one. I actually wrote his name down. I just saw this the other day. There's supposedly one there that's saying, they, this guy may be the messiah. This might be him, right? His name is Yanuka Rav Shlomo Yehuda. Good name. He hasn't claimed to be the Messiah yet, but listen to what they say. But he has done many miracles. Well, so did Jesus. Why don't you want him? Why don't you want him today? Right? Isn't that an interesting qualifier? That that he he has done many miracles. You know what is interesting that I found out in Israel? They have no problem with miracles. They have no problem with Jesus doing miracles because Elijah and Elisha did miracles. They think he's just like one of the other prophets. They just reject that he is the second person of the Godhead, that he is Messiah. They reject him that way. And so I, I really believe the religious leaders, I, they, they knew who he was. But um, I want to show you something else here. Notice this here in verse 38. But when the husbandmen saw that they said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him. Look what he says here. Let us seize on his inheritance. Let us seize on his inheritance. The all-knowing God is giving this parable. I think he's opening a curtain for us. He's pulling back a curtain for us. What is on the heart of these scribes and Pharisees. Let us seize on his inheritance. What is the inheritance of Jesus? Psalm 2, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us cast his cords away, let us break his bands asunder, let us cast away his cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have him in derision. Yet shall I say uh, unto them, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I'm going to forget how this goes. Uh, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Then I shall declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, right? And he goes on to uh, where he say, uh, I that uh, give my enemies foot. So anyway, he goes on to say, give him the inheritance, an inheritance, right? I'll give him the uttermost part of the, I've given the heathen for the inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. Wow, that took a while to get that out. Should have written that one down, huh? Give him the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost part of the, uh, of the earth for thy possession. That heathen there is, is another word. It's just kind of a, a word for nations. 
Psalm 2 says, what is the son going to get? He's going to get the heathen, he's going to get the nations, and he's going to get the other uttermost part of the world, uttermost part of the earth. What did Satan try to give him? The kingdoms of the world. That's, that's a, that, that's, it's, like, it's like when your kids take something out of your closet, wrap it up, and give it to you. Right. It's already yours, right? Amen. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, right? What, what, is it that they, what was it that they wanted, right? What did they want? They wanted, listen, they wanted Jesus' power and authority. What was, his, what was the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything. Which is what? Total power. Remember before Pilate? Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to, to, to crucify thee and the power to release thee? And Jesus says, thou hast, thou, thou hast no power at all against me. I lay down my life and I take it up again, right? What did these Pharisees want? Look, look at this. Seize on his inheritance. They wanted the authority and they wanted the power. This was their problem with Jesus in the first place, wasn't it? They had their religious system. They had, they had everything going just fine. They had the plebs following them along and doing exactly what they say, right? They had, the, they had all of the power in Israel. And Jesus came along and he challenged all of their 613 laws and precepts that, were the, that, were the, that, that was the, 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 the doctrine of man and he challenged them all the time. And they hated him for it. Yeah. They hated the people that were following him. What was the problem with the religious leaders of Jesus' day? Well, God chose Israel for a job that the world might know him, and Israel forgot their role. They forgot their role. Watch, it became about them. It became about them. They wanted the power, and they wanted the control. So what did they do? Jesus says here in, the, in this parable, they cast him, they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Get out of our vineyard. Jesus, get out of our world. Get out of our religious system. Get out of our religiosity. This is ours. Hey, Israel isn't the only one that does this. Christians and churches do this all the time. Absolutely. But I want you to notice before I get there, I want you to notice the remedy. Look at verse 40. He asked the crowd a question. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Look what they say unto him. He will miserably destroy those wicked men. Now the crowd, not this, I don't know if this is the, the, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes. There's other people standing there besides them. And he says, they, they, they will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their season. And you know, the, the, the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying and what he was accusing and what he, what, what he was accusing them of. I, I would love to see, hopefully on video someday, however God does this, I'd like to see this interaction just to see if Jesus looked at him a certain way, right? Like, you know, right? Watch them gulp. Yeah. Watch the anger in their face come up, right? Verse 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. 
Here's the consequence. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, and whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Hey, if you fall on Jesus, you'll be broken, and it's a wonderful thing because he'll put you together and he'll make you whole. But I tell you what, if he falls on you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You'd better bow the knee here because if you have to bow it there, it's too late. It's too late. Notice one more consequence here. It was prophetic at the time, but it's been fulfilled. Notice verse 45, when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parable, they, they perceived he spake of them. There it is. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him uh, for a prophet. Notice again verse 43, the other consequence. The kingdom of God will be taken away from Israel and given to another nation that will bring forth the fruits. What are the fruits of the vineyard? Souls. Souls. This prophecy has come to pass. We're 2,000 years into it. Amen. It's been passed off to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Yeah. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, here it is, a and holy nation, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called out, what? To show forth the glory of God. Yeah. I tell you what, one of the greatest ways to show the glory of God is by preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So God chose Israel. Yeah. God chose Israel. He gave the word of God through them. The oracles of God, the Bible calls it. He brought the Messiah through them. He showed himself to the world through many miracles, through Israel. But ultimately, Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. So God took the vineyard, the world, and he... And he gave it over to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to show forth the glory of God to the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Why? So God gets a harvest from his vineyard. Why? Because he deserves it. That cry of the Moravians when they would leave out and they said that, 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 that God might get the rewards of his suffering. Hmm. But there's a warning. This is our responsibility now. But here's a warning. What's the application in this here for us today? We understand this is a parable that's given to Israel. The audience was Jewish. right? We understand that. But there, is there an application here for us today? I think so, or else I'd have ended it already, right? <laughs> but we've got, an, we've got like another 20 minutes, so not really, just kidding. Here's 
the application. If you've decided that the mission is about you, the mission can be taken from you and given to somebody else. I'm talking on an individual basis. I'm talking on a church basis, collectively, as a church body. You say, well, well, does the scripture ever bear that out? I mean, I mean, we're, 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 we're New Testament, not Old Testament. We're, we're Gentiles, we're not Jews. Well, remember what Paul said in Romans 11. Let me read this to you, verses 18 through 21. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, Israel, that I might be grafted in, Gentiles. Well, Paul says, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Listen to what he says now. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Is he speaking of salvation here? Absolutely not. He's speaking of service. He's speaking of service in the vineyard. He's speaking of our responsibility as believers to preach the gospel and to bring a harvest of souls in for, for, for God who owns it all and who desires that all will come. He's talking to us tonight. Listen, listen. if we've decided that it's about us, if we've decided that, uh, that we should have the power and that we should have the authority and that it's all about our agenda, be careful be careful, because he can very easily take it from you and give it to somebody else. And you know what that other person is going to do? They're going to rejoice and enjoy in the fruit that gets brought in. Because let me tell you something. How many of you have led somebody to Christ in your life? How many have led somebody to the Lord Jesus? There is no greater feeling on the top side of this planet than dealing with somebody with the gospel and watching them pray and ask the Lord Jesus to save them. It gets no better than that. I'm telling you, you talk about fruit for your labor, you talk about rejoicing in the harvest, it's nothing better. Careful, if it's all about you, God will let somebody else do it and they'll get the joy. I think uh, there's some pretty miserable Christians out there because God can't use them in the harvest. He would love to but it's become all about them and he can't use them. Yeah. So we've been given a job to do. Right. You know one of the greatest things we can remember? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's his. This is not your church. It's his church. This is not my pulpit, it's his pulpit. That is not your Sunday school class, it's his Sunday school class. It is not your bus ride if you have one, had one, or do have one, or will have one. It's his, right? It's, it's his, it's all his. And we, we need to remember on a, uh, on, on a regular basis who it all belongs to, why we're here, and who it's for. Right? Because if we're not careful, well, I'll tell you what, will be like those ones that become unused because, because really they just wanted to run it all. Yeah. 
You know what you find out with most of the people like that? They're not doing anything for God at all. And they're miserable. They're miserable people. So what do we say tonight? Uh, let me, may God help us tonight with this. Let's not forget who, who, who owns the vineyard, whose field it really is, and what our role is to be. And let's not get so high-minded that we think it's about us and that, watch, it becomes all about our agenda, our agenda, what we want to do. May God help us. May God help us to be watchful of that and not to allow that to creep into our life. And just that we'd continue to have the role of a happy servant, a joyful servant, serving, serving our king in his vineyard. And uh, like these people here, if they just kept with it, you know what they would have had? They would have had, they would have had half, of the, half of the fruit, right? They would have got half the fruit. But you know what they got? They got zero. Zero. And, and listen, we, we know God has, has set Israel aside and he's going to bring them back in. And Paul even says over in Romans 11 that God hasn't cast them off and he's going to bring them in later, right? This is the time of the Gentiles. When this is completed, he's going to bring them back in. But friend, have you not looked over history, what's happened to Israel? Since they, since, they, since they cried out to Pilate, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. We have no king but Caesar. Boy, it has been. It has been. And it continues to be. It absolutely does. We don't say that with glee. There's people out there, I think they say that with joy in their heart. I, they're sick. I don't get it. Right? He's, not, he's still not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful and remember whose it is. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for the, that you allow us to work in your vineyard. That Lord, you deserve, Lord, you deserve the fruit of your labor. You deserve, you deserve that. Now, Father, would you do two things for us tonight? Would you help us to remember that we are in the service of the King and that you've given us a job to do and there's a harvest that you desire and that you, that, that you deserve and, and we need to be busy about the harvest. And would you help us also, secondly, to remember tonight, Lord, that it's yours and not ours. It's yours. And help us to lay aside all of our agendas if we have any and any inkling that we have come up that had this feeling that it's ours and, and get possessive and get irritated when people get too close to what we're supposed to be doing. Lord, just, just help us to, to just purge that from our life. And remember it's yours. That you would be glorified in our life. And, and Lord, that you would get what you deserve from us. We thank you. You're so good to us. We thank you tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand tonight? I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you tonight, but uh, would you spend the time with Him? The instrument's going to play. You just spend some time with the Lord tonight, however He has spoken to you. Are you busy about the work? Are you busy in the vineyard? Listen, Jesus said the fields are white already unto harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He'd send laborers into His vineyard. Maybe while you're praying for laborers, and we ought to, every one of us ought to be praying for God to send laborers into this harvest right here in Nixa. Maybe He would remind you tonight that, hey, you, you're a candidate too, you know. <laughs> are, you busy, are you busy in the vineyard tonight? Are you busy in the vineyard? However the Lord has spoken to you tonight, you come, you come.
All right. Amen. Well, we're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer here in just a moment. We have, uh, don't forget, services Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. I think the weather looks okay. No snow or anything like that. I'm just getting prepped for that time of year, you know, announcing things like that. So, oh, it just pains me to do that. That's why I need to get a running start at it. just hate saying it. So, anyway. So, uh, pray for one another. I know you, I know we do. And just pray, 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 pray. And uh, we'll be looking forward to rest of the week. Have a great week. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday night. Uh, Brother Davidson, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight?